0: Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. You're back in the doghouse, and we're here to talk Mississippi State sports on the Believe Podcast Network. Welcome back into the doghouse. This is David Murray, and can you feel it? Can you smell it almost? Opening day, it's almost here, a day away. Mississippi State baseball, the Diamond Dogs are on the field, come 4 o'clock this Friday afternoon. Nate Dome will take to the mound. Air Force will put a leadoff batter in the box. Not sure which size yet, but we'll find out when Air Force posts their lineup on Friday. Either way, that first pitch will be thrown shortly after four o'clock. And the 2024 season is underway for Mississippi State and for all of college baseball, which gets going this weekend, weather allowing, of course. If you're one of those teams that in the snow zone, who hasn't left town yet? You're dependent on that state. The weather looks good for this weekend. Not ideal, but great. It's good enough. That's all you can ask at this point. If it's not raining, if it's not freezing, and if the wind isn't blowing the wrong way for the pitching, it's a great day to start. And what the heck, it's always a great way to start. A great day to start a new Diamond Dog season. Yes, we can even say so after the past couple of seasons, the 23 and 22 disasters that were... Best forgotten. Well, apparently a lot of people are remembering, as in the people who vote in the increasing number of national baseball polls. Now, parenthetically, let me say again, I don't pay a lot of attention to baseball polls as far as specific rankings. Uh, The ancient baseball wisdom I learned long, long, long ago was you're only as good as what that fella in blue crouched behind the catcher thinks of the pitches coming his way, whoever is throwing it. Uh, well, there's a lot of truth to that too, but the top 25 rankings and put out by our friends at D1 at Baseball America, other outlets like that. I think they're much better used as a commentary on what 2025 20, teams do they consider competitive this year. I, I wouldn't worry about the one through 25 order. I wouldn't even worry a heck of a lot about the one through 10 order. If you're just in that top 25, you're probably going to be a pretty decent team this year. Ole Mississippi State is not in that top 25, and for that matter, neither are Ole Miss and Southern Mississippi. I'll get to that in just a moment. I've written a piece of a column along that line. For now, let's just stick to immediate matters of the Diamond Dogs. I'll take the quote that was provided today by Coach Chris Limones. He was talking about, as far as this team's expectations I'm the outside, he says, there's not a lot of love, but we don't deserve it. And that is the truth. He just stated it right out there that after these past two seasons under his management, the team, and for that matter, the program, doesn't deserve consideration for ranking. Is that a death sentence for the season before it even starts? Of course not. But you get the idea that the old days when pollsters would just say, oh, Mississippi State baseball, they're probably going to be pretty good this year. Let's just put them somewhere in the top 10 or if they were a little off last year, maybe lower than that. And that's been true forever. That was true. Ron Polk, Pat McMahon, Ron Polk again. You just keep going through the coaches. It was by default. And a lot of it had to do with the fact that uh, baseball polling is tough. Uh, I I really respect the effort put into these uh, lists by people trying to make it through a 125. I would just throw them out there in alphabetical order, my 25 picks each week, and probably be about as accurate, if you're going to be honest. But still, the proliferation of polls and the fact that many of them now, most of them in fact, show a lot of effort put into it, a lot of people who know the college game, another drastic difference from not not that many years ago, people following college baseball, if you're not in the top 25, then you absolutely definitely have something to prove again. There's not a lot of default rankings being given out anymore, and while it's uh, hurtful to our pride because it was always nice to say well we may not be that great but we're ranked at least this year so we've got something to live up to well now the diamond dogs have something to fight for no ranking is not their ultimate goal but uh start winning get back in the polls and you start getting that first feeling that the diamond dogs are going back on the right track to where this program is supposed to be Well, they started off this weekend with an Air Force team. Let's see, they won their conference two years ago. They were in the title championship game of their conference last year. Uh, Some returning players from that, some um, all-conference personnel as well. So Air Force is coming in here, and uh, it's going to be interesting to see how they adapt to the conditions I'm sure they've been hitting indoors most of the time, given what the weather conditions are typically like in the Rockies at this moment. But you think about it, even indoors, you can't duplicate what uh, near sea level the conditions are like for hitting and pitching, uh, all sorts of things like that. Much like if State had to go out there, well, your pitchers just get used to a ball sailing a good bit more and all sorts of differences. I, I will always say I never thought that altitude stuff really mattered that much until 2020 when I went to Brigham Young for a football game and came back and said, oh yeah, it's real. Well, Air Force is a real team coming in, but it's a real opportunity for the Diamond Dogs to get this season off to a much better start in the past couple of years and to start establishing themselves as, again, a competitive ball club. I mentioned that Nate Dome will be the starting pitcher on Friday. I wrote a feature on him back on media day in January and yeah, he had the attitude of somebody who's ready for it. Now he he freely said if he was going to be in the bullpen, that'd be fine with him. If he's going to be in long relief, short relief, closer, whatever, which all jobs he has held of the past, he'd have been fine with that. But you could tell he wants to be a starter, and he's got the stuff to be a starter, at least on his fastball. Well, now that he's added a second, and a third pitch with the coaching of Justin Parker, polishing up his stuff. You've got a chance to have somebody who will answer one of the questions that Mississippi State has for the year. Who will be the Friday guy? Is there a Friday guy? And this may not be settling itself for a couple of weeks, but Dome gets first chance to go out there and prove it. So we'll see how that plays out. Uh, Purdue transfer Cal Steven, the, another right-hander, he's going to come out there and be your guy on Saturday at the 4 o'clock start also. So And he's uh, had limited action fall ball, I'm sorry, preseason ball, because they got a good looking enough. Uh, they haven't overstressed the likely starters here in preseason camp. So Gerangelo, he's had limited action as well, but uh, he's had a lot of bullpen work. The Reports on him are now that he's uh, 96 miles per hour right-handed, 93 left-handed, and he's going to keep throwing both hands. At least that's the plan so far. He wants to do it. And the coaching staff, now that he can throw strikes both ways, uh, Lamonas had an interesting comment today in his press conference, which you can see available on Gene's page in length. The fact that last year when he was switching from right to left or left to right, it was just about a certainty that he was going to start out with ball one, whatever type of batter he was facing. Well, so far in preseason, He's been able to solve some of those things. He's throwing strikes with both hands, and so now he'll be your third guy in the rotation for this first weekend. I probably am uh, overstating things to call it a rotation at this point, and maybe it does prove to be the 1-2-3 that go for the course of the season. I rather suspect that there will be some adjustments to it as guys show that maybe they're fit for this day or maybe they're better for midweek or just the ebbs and flows inevitable in a long season like this. Uh, You've got a couple of examples there. In fact, you've got uh, Bradley Laughlin and Ligon. They could be in the pen early this season, but those are definite starting candidates as well. So plenty of things to go on. Yes, you always need those guys who are going to walk out there and give you an excellent chance to win those Tuesday and Wednesday ball games. Those add up at the end of the season in a big way. And think back to some of those years when State practically went unbeaten at week mid- mid- week, and wouldn't move somebody out of those roles. Correctly so, because those wins counted, especially when you play a pretty competitive, non-conference schedule like Mississippi State traditionally does. As far as the bullpen, Evan Sierra had a great summer. It looks like he's primed for this job. And you have more left-handers available. Looks like Pico Cone is going to start the season coming out of the pen. Uh, Stone Simmons, the lone remaining holdover from the 2021 National Championship team, he's probably a week away, Lamona said today, from throwing. But he will throw this season. Uh, Now, obviously, there's some names I haven't mentioned in there as far as the pitching staff that can immediately come to your mind and my mind as well. But those are guys who are going to get their chances. If the games develop, as State obviously hopes, they will be able to work some arms in there in later innings, or maybe not. That's going to be part of the fun of this first month of the season. How does Justin Parker like to do it in a new situation? Does he try to work up the strength of guys' arms in the starting roles and give them more innings than typically you would the first weekends of a season, the February weekends there? Or do you try to mix and match in more guys just to see what they have against a real opponent? I mean, there's no wrong answer It's like so much in baseball, and often there's not really a right answer either. But when you have so many choices, again, some names that I have left out here just because there's too many of them to go through, that's a reflection of the depth on this pitching staff that Mississippi State has to work with. It's a great thing, and it's also a challenge because you've got to find the roles for most of them. I don't think there'll be enough roles for everybody, in fact, ideally, you don't. You, you settle on your solid core of people to go with your games, and you try to get it done earlier in season if possible and just get everybody into a season rhythm. At least that's traditionally how college baseballs worked. But again, that's all up to Coach Justin Parker, and it's going to be fun to see how he works the guys and makes his choices on how many innings he gives, depending, of course, on how well they're doing or not doing or what Air Force bats are doing. As well as games coming up the rest of this early month of the season. But it's worth watching, and all indications are he's certainly done some good work with the guys since last fall, changing some people. I mentioned adding new pitches to Nate Dome's arsenal, getting Stone Simmons primed up and ready to go, settling more and more how Gerangelo is going to approach it with the two handed attitude. So, a lot to develop there, and a lot of interesting things that we're going to be catching hopefully this first weekend but hopefully also in a good way because state really needs to get the season off to a great start Uh, defensively uh, question mark at the moment uh, shortstop David Mershon is probably day-to-day and uh, he uh, the indications are he can wait a week before they put him out there on the hamstring ironically had the same thing happen a year ago but, of course, last year they were looking at him as a third baseman shortstop. And now he's a full-time shortstop. Although I could certainly see him working over at second base. Uh, Dylan Cup will probably get the start now at shortstop instead. And I mentioned second base. Well, that's Amon and Larry's position, or it should be, because you want this guy up in the top of your batting order, but you got to find his best defensive position. Is it going to be the middle infield? Is it going to be the outfield? There's some questions still to answer. Well, even at catcher, Ross Highfield, who's been banged up, He's going to hit this weekend, by all indications. He will not catch. You have uh, Johnny Long and Jay Powell who have come in. and Excuse me a second. (coughs) Mm. Sign of stuff. And you have even more depth also that you've uh, added in those positions. And, of course, that reflects in how you're going to use your designated hitter. What are you going to do with uh, the catchers who are good enough to be in the order, but you can only catch one during a game? So Outfield. You feel good about how that's developed, although the scrimmages I was able to watch, you saw some interesting, uh, not in a positive way, defensive plays out there. I think most of those guys were getting some snaps, as you would call it, uh, out there as test because I think they pretty well know what they want to do with their starting outfield and their regular right-left matchup options as well. But that's what opening week is also for. We start finding out, with an emphasis on start finding out, What this team is going to look like position-wise, order-wise, left and right, offense, defense, all substitutions, even things like the run game. That's what you get to see in this first 27 innings of the 2024 season. Mississippi State, Air Force, 4 o'clock, 4 o'clock, and 1 o'clock. A season that has ended is the professional football season. And um, you were probably like me. Watching, if not every play, Um, professional football is of casual interest to me. I watch it more for people I know, didn't really have any great, huge rooting interest for teams. I just want to see former Bulldogs do well. I think the dog I was most concerned about doing well was friend Brad Freeman, who got to work his first Super Bowl uh, as the back judge, wearing number 88. And uh, Brad, you've been uh, working the weight room pretty hard, buddy, the way those shoulders are bulked out there. So uh, watching him you know, signal fair catch, down distance, all that kind of thing, that was fun to see Brad out there. And, of course, his, st- his father, Steve, worked many a Super Bowl himself. So congratulations to Brad for making this next professional step up in the officiating ranks. And, of course, following Chris Jones, how could you not? Even if you weren't a fan of either team, you can't miss Chris Jones when Kansas City's on defense. Uh, Yes, for a guy who had so few statistics. And, by the way, that's one of the things I had to learn early on in this profession. In college ball, oh, do we judge by the numbers on defense. Tackles, stops, sacks, pass breakups, interceptions, all those things. And they still matter, don't get me wrong. But tackles in particular, I would sit there – and read a book from a pro game say, wait, only four tackles? This guy's supposed to be the best defensive player in the world, what's going on? Well, that's the nature of pro football. You don't get huge tackle numbers, especially if you're a lineman. But what you get is all the offenses of attention when they're making out their game plan. And you can tell that San Francisco correctly game planned for Chris Jones. Problem was he's better than just about any game plan And if you do manage to slow him down, it sure allows other Chiefs to get the job done on defense. So a great game for Chris Jones. And the third Super Bowl ring for him, uh, Willie Gay Jr. And also, it was some question of the week, would he play with that neck injury that kept him out of part of the playoffs? But he did return. He was very noticeable by his presence, making stops, running around, chasing the ball. So now they have another Super Bowl ring each, and they have set the record. They have surpassed, the tie they had with the great Dee Dee Lewis, who had two Super Bowl wins and five chances with Dallas. Now they have three rings and five chances with Kansas City. And the future is bright for both, uh, depending on do they stay with Kansas City. Remember, Chris, he didn't report opening day for. The Chiefs, as far as their camp went, I think he didn't sign his contract right up until the first game was played. Now, they're grateful, of course, he did, because without Chris Jones, it's hard to see the Chiefs, who lost some games of the regular season anyway, making a successful run to the playoffs, much less to the Super Bowl, and winning it. But he's got all the negotiating power now. Even though he's um, a veteran of the league, he won't turn 30 years old until September. So there's still some very prime years left for Stone Cold Jones. Does he make a move to another team? Well, maybe, maybe not. That's his choice. He's got all the power right now. He's got the rings. He's got the reputation. And he just looks good on TV. I'm I'm so happy the TV camera caught that shot of the tears on his face as the National Anthem was played. You just had to feel good at that moment even if you didn't know Chris Jones. Well, fortunately I do, and uh, it's, let's just say it's been amusing to watch him ever since his college career go on through the NFL as well. Steve Robertson knows him way better than I do from the uh, classic recruiting stories of his day, and it's still fascinating to look at those photos of him as a junior and then compare him physically to what he was when he reported to Mississippi State as a freshman and what he bulked up into. In fact, I found an old piece that I wrote with him for his sophomore season after he'd been named the All-Freshman SEC, and he kept talking about how badly he wanted to play defensive end. Oh, he was going to convince Nan Mullen to let him play defensive end because that's where he was losing weight specifically to do that. And ask him, how do you weigh? He said, well, 295. I said, yeah, you had not lost a ton of weight there, buddy. <laughs> but of course, he stayed inside. But Fun guy to talk to back then, fun guy to watch now. Thoroughly happy for him and Willie getting those third rings. And uh, I've saved that future. In fact, I may rerun it sometime soon on Gene's page. Better yet, save it for hopefully a book that gets done someday. In fact, on the message board, just to digress a little bit, Someone was asking Steve to write some chapters about the downfall of state football in recent years, and he is not interested, nor am I. But somebody raised the subject they'd like to uh, read a retrospective on um, the Jackie Sherrill years. I got one. (laughs) I've already written it. And it's uh, sitting there, constantly tweaked a little bit as the time goes on, and some memories, um, let's just say some memories mellow a bit as we get away from some of the harshness of how things ended and some of the rough patches in there a greater appreciation. All right, I've verged off topic. This is another way of saying, you want to publish a book on Mississippi State football with features, game stories, uh, retrospectives, all that, ranging from the '70s on to now. Give me a call. I got one ready, or close enough to ready. I need to plug in a piece. I found some stuff I'd written years ago about uh, Johnny Cooks. Rest in peace, my friend, about, um, oh, Mississippi State's 1978 win over LSU when linebacker Rusty Martin walked out there and kicked a field goal to beat Charlie Alexander's Tigers. Yeah, that's going to the Wayback machine and all such as that. Okay, back to the present and the professional Bulldogs. Related to that, some would-be professionals and uh, likely to be professionals got their invitation this week to the National Football League Scouting Combine. Uh, Nathaniel Watson, uh, Jaden Crumity, Tulu Griffin, and Cameron Richardson all got their invitations. 321 players were invited, and four Bulldogs in that number, not bad. A little disappointed that Nathan Pickering wasn't given a chance because there were 70 defensive line. I'm sorry, 50 defensive linemen that made that 321 total and 70 offensive linemen. That leads me to a thought that I maybe need to columnize about a little bit. I counted through there. That's 120 players at the line of scrimmage, whether you're talking about true centers on offense or edge guys on defense. Only 23 came from the SEC. Wait, you say only 23? That's not bad out of that total, 1-6. Yeah, but not so many years ago, that number would have been at least in the 30s. I'm wondering if... Yes, yes, the SEC has won or played for the national championship the last several years. But increasingly, this has been a top heavy league. And yes, other conferences at the top have caught up. And uh, this year, let's be blunt, Michigan surpassed. That line of scrimmage, offense, and defense was impressive. It's fast, physical, and a bunch that had been together and knew how to play. But not so long ago, that was Alabama. That was LSU. Uh, recently, that was Georgia. Has the SEC dropped off that much as a line of scrimmage league with uh, the influx of coaches with offensive minds, but maybe not quite the attitude towards defense, in particular, and as well as the type of offensive blocking? It's worth exploring. I just I'm, and again, I'm talking about say the fourth through 14th teams like that compared to other leagues. And we still win our share of games in the bowls and against other conferences, obviously. And in fact, I've got another piece coming up this weekend that will be on the website that the SEC already has, by my count, 37 games booked with Big Ten teams through the early 2030s. I think Alabama has six of them, by the way. And uh, half those games, are right at half of them, are road games, which puts to a lie the uh, narrative that's thrown against the sec well you guys are just scared to travel and you only make teams come to your own place a if you can do it great b state and the sec will travel the state's going to minnesota that's they include home and home there that counts in this big 10 i raise that simply because you caught the news last week about the advisory group that the sec and big 10 are forming Uh, i believe i have called it collusion in um last couple of days, and not in a negative sense, just a pragmatic sense, well, they've already got all these games scheduled. And yes, several of the games were scheduled before teams like UCLA and Washington were in the Big Ten, but they still count. Uh, Point being, I suspect you're going to start seeing more work together by the SEC and Big Ten for mutual scheduling, especially because these are the two most solid leagues. Pac-12 is dead, all for all intents and purposes. ACC, who the heck knows what's what going to happen with that bunch in the next coming years if Florida State indeed has figured out a way to practically accelerate leaving their league and then having either the SEC or Big Ten, I kind of suspect the latter, picking him up. I say this because I'm not sure what Florida State brings the SEC. No, don't sit there and say it brings a whole lot more money. You've got to bring as much money as you're going to get back from the league more, in fact, if you're going to be added to this conference. Put that math in mind. And right now, that number, as we reported this week, was $51 million per team. When the new contract takes effect, it's going to be more like $70 million per team. Is a Florida State or a Clemson going to bring in 80, 90 million new dollars that weren't already there? I'm kind of doubtful at this point. And what's the point of adding more teams if you're gonna keep the sizes of the pie relatively the same or even less, that doesn't make any sense at all. But that's something to be considered in the future. And frankly, it's something that's probably gonna slip behind looming larger issues, which we're gonna have to discuss once we get further into the spring and summer, as some court cases work their way through, what's gonna happen with NIL, what's gonna happen with the status of student athletes as likely, not just possible, but likely employees, Of the collectives, and believe me, the collectives don't want them to be employees, so that will expedite uh, turning things over to the schools eventually. That's just me talking right now based on things we hear and see from other people who it's all speculation because we don't know what the courts will say, we just have to be aware of what they may or may not say. It's like I said, that's for a summer conversation. Hopefully we get a chance to have a talk with some people who are really in the know following on this and pass it along to you. But for now, the Combine again. At the end of this month, I think the first televised days are the last of day of February on into, I think, March 4th. I have a chance to see some of these guys perform with their respective position groups. And who knows, maybe you'll see the next Chris Jones out there. <laughs> Speaking of see Chris Jones, who can ever forget the video images of uh, his uh, wardrobe malfunction as he ran that 40-yard dash at the combine. Well, it sure as heck did not hurt his professional future. Now, basketball. The Bulldogs have a win streak. Yeah, a two-game win streak, but it is the first win streak of this SEC season with victories over Georgia and Missouri, and now they're hosting an Arkansas team at 1 o'clock this Saturday. Gives them every chance in the world to get that third straight win to even up their SEC record at 6-6. Six and, six. and that would give them 17 victories going into the next phase, or let's call it uh, heading into the turn, final turn, of this SEC season. They're up to thirty-six in the net ranking, as of yesterday. I didn't bother to check today because I filed my story yesterday. Arkansas, by the way, is 128, which is an improvement for them. They've been winning some games now, and all of a sudden look a little more dangerous. Uh, Maybe not so much road games, but you can't take the Hogs for granted at this point. I certainly sound like I am, but I shouldn't. Regardless, this is a great chance for Chris Jan's club to get that third straight win, even the record, and build some momentum going into next week's showdown with Ole Miss uh, Wednesday night in Humphrey Coliseum. The Rebels, by the way, have a net of number 59. Yes, I'm sure you've noticed by now that I've quit using rankings. Uh, Basketball rankings now are pretty much more worthless than even baseball rankings can be. Because all that matters is your net and your NCAA status. Oh, after that, by the way, LSU is a net of 96. And State, by the way, by my count, was 7-6 uh, and six in games against net top 100 teams so far this season. And that's because also some of State's victims in pre-SEC season are doing pretty well in their leagues. Like Washington State, Northwestern and even that still galling loss to Southern University. And I'm not going to say it looks better, let's just say it doesn't look quite as bad because now Southern U is leading the SWAC. We really, really need the Jaguars to win their conference and their conference tournament to help ease some of the net sting that's still going to linger on the Bulldogs record. Right now, the experts who do such things, they've taken State off that uh, last four in or last four buys list, and they've got State as number nine seed in the tournament. As you and I know, uh, number nine, number eight, no difference because they play each other. But that's a bump up from the last couple of weeks where they were 11th, then a 10th seed, and then back to 11th, and now up to a ninth. That's what winning it does for you. And even if you're beating mediocre to bad teams, as I've said so often, you need the Ws. Jan's club is getting the W's now and a chance to pile up more of them here as they head deeper into the second half of the season where the schedule is m- much more favorable yes when I say much more it's still a matter of degrees because uh, ain't nothing favorable about this year's SEC I was talking with someone last night who was a local basketball guy and he was saying well the SEC looks pretty good this year I said yeah as a top-to-bottom, I think it's a much-improved league. Uh, well, maybe not at the absolute bottom. I mean, Missouri is really struggling, and Vanderbilt, Even you know, they beat Missouri, but they look pathetic out there at times. And yet, all of a sudden, they can jump up and win a game. What it means, though, is that the SEC is a really good league, top-to-bottom, but do I see a championship contender in this conference? Unless Alabama is able to play six straight games just playing their minds out on offense and getting a defense going. Not really. Kentucky has the most talent. They looked pretty good for most of the game last night with Ole Miss. like They had their act back together, and plus the fact they're getting healthy again. They're probably the most dangerous team to make a run all of a sudden, but uh, again, win six straight games, especially coming off a conference tournament run. I don't know that anybody in this conference has that kind of firepower right now. But still, the league is better. So the higher state can finish the league, the better that bid is going to be to the NCAA tournament. Yes, I do expect this team to return to the NCAAs and certainly not as a uh, play-in round game. I think they're going to be able to put some more wins together here as guys get together. And, you know, once you get healthy, you get D.J. Matthews back in fold. During his downtime, you've seen the development of Deshaun Murphy, Um um congratulations to Justin Farmer for getting an interview and a feature with him on Gene's page this week. His addition is a wild card element that this offense really needed. And I do say offense because defensively he's not going to be a factor. But, hey, you take the points where you can get them, and right now Mississippi State is benefiting more by playing solid offense because the defense just hasn't been there. And it's still mind-boggling how few block shots this team has. No, that's not the absolute measure of a defense team, but it's a symbol in today's game of how intimidating you are or are not to another offensive team out there. Tolu Smith, though, he's been on a tear now again. Last couple of games, his shooting percentage is way up. His rebounding is even more up. And this is a guy who doesn't have the best vertical game of the business, but he's getting it done in the post now against comparable or inferior opponents, exactly as you are supposed to do. Yes, when you're playing a lesser team, you're supposed to be the bully. And Tolu Smith has been a bully the last couple of games, and it's been great to see. It's allowed Josh Hubbard to go into something of a shooting slump. By the way, his overall shooting, I think, is only 38% now, where his three-point shooting, 34%, kind of getting dangerously close to each other. Uh, maybe he's developed a little bit too much confidence in his shot, or maybe more so... The team has more confidence in him and putting him in more positions just to take shots with a guard or not because they don't want to take the shots. Well, you need that third guy. Sean Murphy has certainly proved willing to go out there and take the shot. But, hey, congratulations to Rams Davis. Coming off the bench, he has improved his game. I think it's taken some of the pressure off him from being a starter out there. And he has been a much more reliable factor with the ball in his hands offensively. And Shaquille Moore, what can you say? That guy – he, he's just capable of going off unexpectedly at times. And think of what that does to a defensive lineup that's already got to sweat chasing around Josh Hubbard while keeping the defense in and covering and being ready to help at any moment on Tolu Smith. You get that third offensive element out there consistently and, you, and more to the point that when you substitute, there's still two or three offensive elements on the floor instead of too many times has been the case here where when State substitutes, you're almost down to one offensive threat on the floor. The picture's getting better offensively. The team's getting better chemistry-wise from what I've seen. And they're just getting more confident. That's what winning does. And again, if it comes at the expense of lesser teams, who cares? Get the W's and let everything else play out for itself. Speaking of what's playing out, so is this edition of the Doghouse. We haven't even gotten to women's basketball and their pending rematch with Ole Miss as well. Uh, We'll have more reporting through the week on the status of Jessica Carter, who is the key, of course, to San Purcell's season the rest of the way. For now, that's what we have. Again, baseball, 4 o'clock, 4 o'clock, 1 o'clock. Basketball, 1 o'clock on Saturday. So, fans, get ready for a huge traffic jam around the north end of campus as people come in to watch basketball and baseball, and hopefully both, just walk across. It's easily done. And in fact, that will happen because uh, one of the good things about Mississippi State is the Bulldog Club structure that encourages holding season tickets to both sports. So it'll be a big weekend start Starkville, first weekend of baseball season, and thus the first of these big doubleheader type settings. And a great time to be a Bulldog, a great time to tune in, as always, to the Doghouse. Here with me, David Murray. Enjoy talking with you. So let's keep it up and be speaking with you again next week.